You are listening to the latest message from Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas, where we don't care about your past, but care about your future. We thank you for joining us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Dwayne Higgins. Okay, let's get started here. How many of you have ever played pinball, the old pinball? Don't know. All right. My illustration tonight, because I was thinking about this this morning, first time I ever saw a pinball machine, and it was at Buddy's Pool Hall up here. And you'd take that ball, and you'd hit it, and you'd watch it come down. I had no idea what it was going to do. It was making noise and, and stuff like that and scoring points. Yeah, Brad, he's a, he knows. He's watching. But, you know, after a while you learn it. If you don't learn what's happening in this machine, you don't play very long because that ball will find its way out. And I began to think about how that relates to my life because I began to watch people and learn how to do it and how to manipulate that. There was some understanding how to play that game that made it more fun. It would last longer. But I had to learn how to, to do that and I had to watch people. I had to develop some skills to do it, and, and it improved my game. But the thing was, I went from being not knowing and this ball bouncing around and then running down to the end to being able to play and score points. What does that have to do with life? Well, each one of us in our life is much like a pinball machine. We're shot into the world not knowing a lot. We're playing a game we don't know a lot about, and a lot of people live today without that parental guidance that they need, or the parental guidance may not be a positive one, and they're trying to, to live this thing called life without any knowledge of what to do, and, and they kind of look like a pinball bouncing around and stuff, and then all of a sudden, it just at the, all of a sudden you're at the end of your life, and it's gone. And, and, and you can't punch replay and start over. Put a, Back in my day, you could put another quarter in there. We could play for a quarter back then and, uh, and, and start all over. And you could learn that. But life is not that way. We get one shot at life. And if you don't have good influences in your life, you're just kind of bouncing around. And you're getting into everything and Nothing seems to happen. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and your life comes to an end. Or a friend's life comes to an end. We, you know, we, we've talked tonight about how many people are close to death. Some have died and many of them are young. Uh, this little boy, trick-or-treat, you mentioned, you know, his life could very well come to an end and he's probably... Nine, ten years old, out just to have a good time, and somebody runs over it because they send in a text message. But our lives are that away. But the good thing about it is, we do have an example of how to live a life if we'll just follow that. And it's found within Scripture. And in the Scripture begins in John three, talking about what each one of us needs to do. And here's a very religious man in verse 1. He says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that, that you do unless God is with him. This is what Jesus answered and he said to him. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing you need to understand about Nicodemus, he was an older man trained in, in the uh, Judean law and scripture. He understood a lot of the Old Testament, the prophets and, and everything about it. He understood the law. He would be considered today as a very religious man. Yet in his heart, he was empty. So he comes to Jesus trying to figure out all these things that Jesus is doing. And he asks these questions because he, he, he understands he must be from God. Yet he doesn't know what he's doing. His life has been empty and he's trying to understand what's going on around him and seeing this. So he comes to Jesus to ask that question. Well, Jesus doesn't answer it in a direct form. He takes him right to the root of the problem. Because many people live in their lives today wondering what's going on and not fully understanding. And that's when Jesus told him that you must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus would ask that question. He goes on and says, well, how do I have to enter into my mother's womb again and then be born again? But he wasn't talking of physical birth. He's talking spiritual birth. That we're physically born into this life, and yet there has to be a spiritual birth to happen before we can truly understand what this life is all about. And that God has already provided for that to happen for each and every one of us. And so if we were willing to learn and, and you let the scriptures guide us, instead of us bouncing around, we can figure out what this thing's about. Now, there's always going to be some pitfalls. And those of you who played pinball, y'all know there was a hole there and it would hold the ball for a little while and you'd get points and then it'd shoot it out. The, the question was, how do you catch that thing? Because it would always shoot it straight for between your flippers. So you had to learn how to kind of catch that thing and hold it. And stuff. Well, life is still that way. Even after we're saved, there's pitfalls. There's things going to happen in your life. There's things that you're going to struggle with. But when you're born again, it means you've come to a place in your life where you've decided to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. John 14, 1 through 6 talks about Jesus tells his disciples that he's about to leave and he's about to go to a, a place and that if I go to this place, I'm going to prepare a place for you that you can be with me. And they said, well, how can we come? We don't know the way. And Jesus in 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So what he's pointing to is that he would be that sacrificial lamb, that individual that God would use to set people free from the judgment of sin. Because we're going to look here in a minute and see this, that um, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we'll get to that scripture in a little bit. And, and, and because of that sin, we've been separated. And so he's telling them that I'm the way, I'm that sacrificial lamb that God had been speaking about for 
well over 2,000 years, about 1,900 years, God had implemented with Abraham the sacrifice. Uh, if you go back 1,900 years before Christ was born, we, we end up seeing Abraham offer Isaac up there on what's now the Temple Mount. And as they went there and he carries Isaac, who was the promised son, and to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, he's traveling there and Isaac looks at him. He said, Father, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we've got everything we need, but where's the lamb? And Abraham looked at him and said, God will provide the lamb. And, and Abraham was just doing what God had commanded him to do was to offer up Isaac, the promised son. And so he carries him up there. He builds an altar, lays him the wood down, and then lays Isaac on it bound. And he begins to draw back the knife because God said, I want you to sacrifice your son. And he was prepared to do that. And just about that time that he, would, he pulled the knife back, God stayed his hand and an angel stopped him. And then they heard the goat that was provided and it was hung up in the briar patch. And they took the, and the angel said, take this and offer him up because I see now that you love me enough that you wouldn't even hold back your own son. Well, what he was doing was learning the cost of salvation and what it would be for each one of us because Jesus is going to lay down his life for you and I. And if we go on over in the book of Acts, we begin to see that, that uh, Jesus went to the cross, not because of his sin, but because of the sins of the world, and gave his life, and on the third day was raised from the dead. Well, that brings us to a point in Romans. It's called Rome, the Roman Road, and I want you to go over to that and look in Romans 3. We're going to begin in verse 23 and explain that because uh, we'll, we'll actually look at 22 and 23. Uh, these are scriptures I hope you would look at and remember because they are the direction of how a person should go to be saved. And so in verse 22, it says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all those who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. I remember when Randall shared the gospel with me, he did it in such a way that this scripture really jumped out at me because I knew I'd sinned. And I knew that I'd let God down. I knew I had no faith. I knew I had no relationship with Him. But I felt alone. I felt like I was the only one who had done that. And then the Scripture came out to me and it began to reveal to me, wait a minute, I'm one among many. God's not condemning me for my sin. He's saying all of you have fallen short. This eliminates that self-righteousness that people begin to get uh, confused with about thinking, well, I'm so good, I'm not as bad as old so-and-so over there down the road. Uh, I'll get in on my good works. What, what Paul is writing here to the church in Roman that your good works are not going to do anything for you because you've all fallen short. It doesn't matter if you lived a pretty good life and a good person. Or you're a terrible person. It's what I talked about with uh, 
a lot of people still struggle with what God done in my life and some of my friends' lives, and they have struggle getting past beyond my past and believing that God can use me. But I'm here to tell you tonight that I'm one of many, and you are too, because we've all fallen short. No matter how big or how little our sin, any sin separates us from God. So we've all fallen short. We might as well admit to that, that every one of us has fallen short. We're not where God would have us to be. Would you agree to that? We still struggle with that. That sin's still there. Well, if you move on over in this Roman road and begin to do that, and once you begin to identify that you've sinned, how does God care for us? I mean, how would he love us if he can't look upon sin? Well, in, in chapter 5, he talks about, For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And I began to think about this passage in 5.8 of Romans about with my sin in my life and knowing that, God shows his love for me that he didn't wait for me to get right to save me. He didn't wait for me to get better. He took me just like I was. And he shows his love toward me that while I was still in this sinful state, he's already provided the place for me. And he's provided a way of salvation for me. And he did that by what he did with Jesus, his only begotten son, there on Calvary. He demonstrated his love for me, for you, and for each and every one of you, that he loves you so much that he's already sent his son. So 1,900 years before Jesus' birth, God was preparing and laying the groundwork to the, the, the animal sacrifices, a yearly sacrifice to Offer up a sin sacrifice to be forgiven. Had to be done every year. And he's pre preparing for what his son would do there on Calvary. And that was to die to take away the sins of the world. Because he wanted them to understand that only he would sacrifice his son for somebody that was a sinner. He, Paul wrote, he said, you know, some of y'all may be good enough that you would die for the sake of a righteous person. You may would die for your children, but would you die for somebody else that the world despises? Would you die for your worst enemy? Would you die for the guy that spit upon you? Would you die for the guy that cursed you or the woman that cursed you? You see, Jesus died for those that nailed him to the cross. He died for the, the Jewish priest who sent him to the cross. He died for Barabbas, who found freedom, and he found death. Because God demonstrated how much he loves us by while we were yet sinners, he provided that sacrifice. And so it's good for us to remember that, especially when we're talking to people and beginning to share the gospel with people, that don't go with condemnation or something and and I remember a few people trying to witness to me, and they came on like a sledgehammer with a Bible. You're a rotten sinner, and you need to get saved. And, and 
throwing this Bible in. I said, whoa, wait a minute. I need to go to work. You know, it's time for me to move on. I didn't need to be threatened. I knew what I was. You weren't going to scare me. I was just hard-headed enough. You weren't going to scare me into heaven. Now, I'd already made up my mind if that's where my friends were going to be. I just probably need to go there with, with them. That's how stupid I was, you know. I had no idea what I was thinking. But when I, when I read and was shown God's Word, it begins to really come home to me how much God loved me. And, and folks, you can't fight the Holy Spirit. I can fight an individual. I could, I could get mad and bow up and be hard-headed, but I couldn't fight the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul goes on to explain this. Verse 23, Romans 6, 23 said, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Most of us can understand what wages is. That Wages are given to you in an agreement with the employer. You're going to work so many hours a day for this amount of pay. It's what you deserve. Uh, so that's what wages are. What we deserve is eternal damnation and death. Because that's just what we deserve. We're all sinners. We've, we've earned that right because of who we are and, and there but wages are given in an agreement of what you deserve but a gift is given because of love and that's what's coming up in a couple months we're going to give gifts to our children our grandchildren and those and stuff you know if I had kept a list of all the things my children had done to make me mad through the year, they wouldn't ever got anything. But neither would I have if mom and daddy had kept a list of what I'd done. But I always managed to get something every year at Christmas. I always managed to give something for our kids. Why? Because I loved them. In spite of who they were. And in spite of what they did. You know, uh, e even today, I watch a lot of parents who go into the attitude of being enablers instead of the parent because they have so much love and they've got a, a child that's pushing the limit with all the things that are out there. There's all kinds of drugs and addictions and various things. Uh, some go to jail, some go to prison, some don't, but they, their lives are rotten. But the one thing that's hard to take away from a good parent is that love. It doesn't really matter how bad those kids are. They're their children, and they still love them. And that's always going to be there. And so you're understanding a little bit about how much God loves you. That even when you deserve death, and separation he chooses to give you life this is where a lot of times i would always pull out a quarter or something and i would offer it to somebody and say here i want you to have this and and then they would reach out and take it and i said what did you do to get that they said nothing i said that's right but you did one thing 
It was offered as a gift, and you reached out and took it. It was free. It didn't cost you a thing. You didn't have to jump through a hoop. You didn't have to do anything. You reached out and took it. It was offered, and you accepted it. And that's what salvation is. It's not given because you deserve it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. God offers it, but it's your choice whether you receive it or not. And that's totally your choice. Do I want it or do I want to continue on without it? And the sad thing is in the world that we see today, so many people say, well, that's just too simple. It's got to be more to it. God kept it simple enough that any person could receive it. And to try to make anything more out of it is saying, God, I don't believe you're capable of doing this. It's almost so simple it's hard for somebody to do it because they'd have to admit they're a sinner. They'd have to admit that there's nothing they could do about that. And they'd have to admit I'm doomed and going to hell. But the reality is that's where we're at without Christ. But we don't have to. You know, I've had people say, well, why would a holy and righteous God send anybody to hell? I'm here to tell you, he doesn't. He doesn't send anybody to hell. They make that choice. When they reject Christ, they made a decision of where they're going to spend eternity. Now, does he send them? Yeah, he's going to cast them out. But it's based upon the consequences of the decision they made. And so that when we hear these scriptures and, and we see that, we have to make a choice. Either I'm going to give my life to him and accept him and accept the payment for my sin and, and receive the benefit, or I'm going to continue on on this path that I choose. So you're saying, I'd rather have the wages and not the gift. I've wanted the gift, and that's why I know where I'm going to go when I leave this earth. It's because in 19, September 1982, I took the gift. And I took it just like I was, where I was, and what I was at that time. I accepted Jesus Christ in my Savior. Well, how do you do that? That's, that's always the question. A lot of people say, well, I want to get baptized. I, I want to join the church. And those are all well and good. But I wasn't in a church when I got saved. I was in a pastor, sitting at a gate, trying to bum a post hole digger so I could go build a hog pen. But Randall brought me to the, on over to this church chapter 10 of Romans, verse 9 and 10. And he said, if you'll do these things, you can be saved. Paul wrote, and he said that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Stop right there. What does it mean to confess with your mouth? To acknowledge verbally that Jesus Christ is the Master. Lord literally means the master. The, the, the Greek word is Adonai. And it's a reference to lordship. The same thing that you would give to a king or a master 
<clears throat> but that you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. That you acknowledge that He will be the Lord of your life. That from this point on, you're going to acknowledge Him. You're not just going to receive His free gift of salvation, but you're going to let Him be the master of your life. That's a change in attitude. That we begin to go from us being the Lord of our life and making the decision to beginning to submit to Him and to follow Him. A lot of people think that robs them of the strength. If you've ever broken any kind of animal from a horse to a, to a show steer or whatever, you don't take away their strength. You take away their desire to make the decisions. And with with me and the, my cattle in, the, in there, I do it with a sack of cubes. I'm not something to be afraid of. They love to see me coming. And as Casey and Melinda and them have shown these kids, they'll do about anything if you'll feed them. But same way with these guys that break horses and all. Elton Brown was an old cowboy from way back and probably broke more horses than most of us will ever even think about. First thing he would do when he was going to break a horse, he'd put that horse in a round pen, he'd get his lawn chair, get his Bible, and he'd go sit in the middle of that, that round pen and just let that horse run wild. He said, after a little bit, that horse would be over there nuzzling up and wanting to know, what are you doing? He said, I was becoming his friend. Letting him know I'm not here to hurt him. He just do his Bible study out there, and he began to rub on him a little bit. He said, it's a lot easier to do that than to rope him, snug him up to a, a post and jump on him and then try to break him. He said, a lot. He, he learned that after he got older, you know. <clears throat> There's easier ways to do this. So he became his friend, and then you, they began to work him and, and stuff. But you slowly begin to change that. After, never taking away from the strength of the horse or the cattle or whatever you do it, you're changing the mindset. And that's the way it is with God, that when we make Him Lord of our life, we don't lose our strength. We begin to allow Him to make the decisions. And He said, believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. There's a couple things here. To believe in your heart, it literally, that deep down in your heart, you believe that Jesus Christ died for you. He didn't die for J.C. or Bud. He died for me. You've got to come to a place where he died for you. It's, it's easy for me to say, well, he died for y'all because you needed it. The hard thing for people to do is agree that he died for them because they need it. And that's where a lot of people struggle. And so when we confess him as Lord and agree with him that he died for me, that we can be saved and that God raised him from the dead. Why is that important? God raised him from the dead. Well, for him to die on the cross and yet not come out of the grave really didn't mean a lot because that's not victory over death. He had to come out of the grave on the third day just like the prophets had prophesied about. More than 450 scriptures were fulfilled through his life where he was born and his death in in and everything about the, the, the coming out of the grave. And, uh, but that gave us the hope to know that there is life after this. 
I mean, I'm going to live forever. I know that. Now, this body won't, but I will. Why? Because I'm born again. I've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I believe that he died on the cross and rose on the third day. Why? So I could be set free. Now, me being a Baptist preacher has nothing to do with that. Me being a good person has nothing to do with it because I'm not as good as you'd like to think I am. There's still a rotten part in me that I'm still working on. And God sure still... Brad, you don't have to agree with everything I say. But there's still certain things God's dealing with me with. But we've all still struggled with those things. We've all got them. But I have done that. I have confessed Jesus with my mouth, and I believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Because he says in verse 10, he says, For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Did he say anything about good works? What did he say there? He said, There's faith in your heart. With a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Not, not me getting out and doing good works. My righteousness does not come from the works that I do. It comes from the faith that I have. And that's where your righteousness comes. Because you're saved by grace through faith. And your righteousness or unstained life it's not based on what you do. It's based upon what Jesus has already done. You're accepting the gift. And when you accept that gift, you get all the benefits that go with that gift. And that is eternal life. But to sums it all up, verse 13, because this is a big word. It says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's two main words I really like in there, W words. First of all, it says whoever. It means anybody that calls on the name of the Lord and cries out to, to the Lord, they can be saved. Anybody, whoever. That meant me in 1982, that when I cried out, no matter what I'd done in the past or what I would do in the future, I could be saved. But the other thing is, it doesn't say maybe God will save he says he will save. That's a promise from God. He said that if you will call on my name, believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and died on the cross and rose from the grave, if you'll do that, you will be saved. If you think back to the, the, when Jesus was dying on the cross, one thief mocked him, criticized him, and tried to get him to get them all down he wanted to get saved he wanted to come down off that cross he didn't believe much about it but he thought maybe jesus could get him off that cross and give him some little more life but the other thief that was on the other side ridiculed that one thief and said we deserve what we're doing this man is righteous and he looked at jesus and he said remember me when you enter into your kingdom and jesus looked back at him he said today you will be with me in paradise now, what did that man do? He couldn't get down and start all over and live another life or do anything. But he exercised faith. And he called on the name of the Lord. And Jesus told him, This very day when you die, you will be with me in paradise. 
You're going to have eternal life. He didn't even respond to the other one because it was no sense because he had selfish desires. But the one truly sought forgiveness. And that's the difference. Everybody is trying to do what they think needs to be done. And they're going through life just like that pinball machine bouncing around and all of a sudden it's over. And they've never learned to play this game called life when it's so simple. The same pitfalls, the same dangers will be there for you and I even after we're saved. But the reward is that I've got the understanding that my God is in control of my life and that he will carry me through those pitfalls. He will carry me through those situations. He'll carry me through that. And then when it's my time for this body to die, he'll carry me through that too. Because I made a choice in 1982 to call on his name. And that's how simple it is. It's simple, but it's very hard and very difficult. Because humans have a hard time admitting that it's beyond their control. And there's nothing they can do about it. When there is one thing they can do, they can call on the name of the Lord and then they will be saved. That's what the scripture tells us about life. And for those that's listening here and wherever, I want you to know you don't have to go through life without any hope. My hope, y'all's hope, is in Jesus Christ. And we exercise that hope by walking with Him every day. We're getting better. I mean, I've been working at it now for uh, 41 years. Still got a ways to go. But he's coming back to get me. One way or the other. Either I'll die and go meet with him or I'll be raptured out. But scripture is being fulfilled every day. And I want us to know that salvation is awaits everybody who'll call upon the name of the Lord. And if I pray a prayer, and I'm going to share with us this little prayer and you're going to mean it in your heart, then you can know that you're saved too, and you can read the Scripture. So let's go, Lord, in prayer, and I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you'll repeat that so that only God hears you, then you too can uh, receive salvation. Heavenly Father, each one of us have come before you with sin in our life. Father, we understand based on the scriptures that we've all sinned and come short of the glory you have a desire for us to have we know that you've demonstrated your love towards us while we were yet sinners you sent your son to die father i know what i deserve and that is eternal damnation but i want the gift father the gift of love by receiving Jesus Christ. Therefore, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He went to the cross on my behalf to take away my sin and that You raised Him on the third day that I may know that there is life after this physical life that we live here on earth. 
and that eternal life awaits for me because I call on your name. I surrender my life to you, and I'm going to give my life to you so that you can do something with me and grow me. And I promise, Father, to study your word and try to become more obedient to you and what you desire for me to be. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a, that little prayer can set you free from all that's going on if you'll believe it in your heart. And that's what it's all about. Okay? Y'all have a good night and a good week. May God bless y'all. We thank you for listening to Bar None Cowboy Ministries in Omaha, Texas. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We are located on Highway 259 just south of the four-way in Omaha. You may also find us on Facebook or the web at barnonecowboyministries.com, a place where we don't care about your past but care about your future.